0: Hey guys, welcome back to the show. It's great to be with you again. It's been a while since I did a video podcast, um, but I'm happy to bring this one to you this week because this week I get to have an awesome conversation with a guy you may have heard of, uh, you may not be familiar with, but um, if you're into outdoor films and that kind of thing, you probably know my guest this week is Donnie Vincent. And uh, Donnie is a really, really cool, well-spoken, thoughtful guy. Um, He's been in some great, like I said, outdoor and hunting films. Uh, His most recent one, I think, is called Winds of Adak, where he goes on a really cool caribou hunt on the island of Adak in Alaska. So we have a great conversation this week about the hunting industry, about life, um, about films. um, And, you know, he actually does a fair bit of asking me questions about my journey and my. Um, you know, what's brought me to where I am now. And so, you know, we get into pretty good amount of detail about my past and kind of, you know, that I've been open about my, my past of addiction and recovery and weight loss and just my journey into, into this world. So it's a really great conversation. I really enjoyed talking to Donnie. He's a great guy. Um, you know something I like to do, which I haven't done in a little while, but is um, whenever I have a guest on and a scripture comes to mind that kind of personifies that person, I like to uh, to add that in here. So the one that I, I found for Donnie that I thought was cool is is actually First Samuel sixteen eighteen, and it's um, someone is actually describing David, who which, you know will later become King David, the guy who who killed uh, Goliath. So um, the the verse goes like this. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. So I thought that was a cool description that kind of fit Donnie really well. Like I said, he's a really well-spoken guy, uh, thoughtful guy, articulate, um, You know, and a man of good presence, prudent in speech, and I, I really see him as like a man of valor. So um, he really fits that warrior archetype that a lot of a lot of us men have deep within us and and strive to let out. So it's a great episode. Um, I do want to ask you guys again; it's been a while. So please, if you like the podcast, it's super helpful. If you can leave me a rating and even a, a written review on Apple Podcasts. it's really helpful. And if you do that, I will send you out some some swag from the podcast and appreciation for that. Also. You know, these video podcasts are a lot of work. I've mentioned it before and I'm not complaining, but if you, if you do like the podcast, if you like the YouTube podcast or whatever, just do me a solid, go to YouTube right now. You can find my channel by searching Hunter McWaters. That's my name, Hunter, and my last name, M-C-W-A-T-E-R-S. That's how you can find my channel and just hit that subscribe button. Like I'm really trying to build out my YouTube audience um, because I am going to be releasing some hunting films coming up later this year. I'm waiting on a new computer now to uh, to get that editing going, but. Please just, uh, it'd be a huge favor to me if you could just go to YouTube, search my name, Hunter McWaters, and subscribe. Even if you don't really watch YouTube, you're not into the video podcast, that's fine. Just bumping up my subscribers would be a huge, huge boost for me. So please do that. Um, Also, just one thing to note, during the interview, there is a little bit of construction noise. Uh, The place where Donnie was recording was having some construction done. Not a huge deal, but if you hear some weird noises... It's just construction noise. It's just you know, it's, it's like I said, it's not a big deal. Just keep listening. It's a, it's a great conversation, um, and so yeah, I, I like I said, there's a lot of back and forth. You know, he asks me a lot about my past, and I go into some details about stuff I haven't really talked about. Um, so it's really a really awesome conversation. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Um, Donnie's a very entertaining guy to talk to and to listen to. So. Um, again, thank you as always for listening. If you have anything you want to reach out to me about, you can uh, find me on Instagram at the hunters quest, and I'm happy to, uh, answer your questions or talk to you about stuff. But, um, anyway, without a whole lot more, uh, let's just go ahead and jump into this one, guys. I think you're really going to like it and, uh, please, you know, go ahead and share this with friends and family if, if you enjoy it and, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Um, anyway, guys, I'm here with my guest today. Really excited to talk to Mr. Donnie Vincent. How you doing, man?
1: Good. Thank you for having me. It's uh, exciting to get the invitation.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. It's exciting to talk to you. So uh, I, I got to ask about your cabin because it looks pretty sweet. Where are you at right now? Yeah. Um,
1: this is uh, essentially in Hudson, Wisconsin, northwest Wisconsin. Uh, it's it's under construction today. There's I'm Having all the outside logs sanded, and so there's a little bit of background noise, but it's oh, yeah,
0: okay.
1: it's a cool place. This is where we have Sigmanta. It's bare right now. I have, um, believe it or not, uh, there was a TV commercial filmed here yesterday. Oh, really? For uh, yeah, for a chimney sweep company that I <laughs> nothing to do with. They they just asked if they could film here as location. Oh, nice. And so, but when there's two women that produced the shoot, and when they came in, they were like. I have sheep skulls up there and, uh-huh. and brown bear skulls and black bear skulls. And they're like, yeah, everything, uh, everything dead has to go. And, <laughs> and then I had all my recurve bows were in the corner there and they're like, all the weapons have to go
0: oh, have to get
1: rid of all the, so everything is bare. But, um, yeah, it's coming along. It's gonna be a long project, but it's, uh, it's a perfect place for our production studio for our production house.
0: Okay. So it's, it's not your home, it's your office or is it both? Mm-hmm
1: office i mean i okay. stay here a lot i mean a lot a lot but yeah. Uh, but yeah it's primarily an office
0: cool man so um just for folks that may not be familiar with you uh and and i just personally i know a little bit about you um, but i'd love to hear your story um, you know how you how you got into um, telling stories and um, just it's all that stuff
1: yeah i'm um the root of it all is that i'm in love with wildlife and uh have been for as long as I can remember um burying my face and my mind into wildlife books and hunting books and fishing books and and um as I was getting older I just spent as much time as possible outside
0: uh and always wanted Wisconsin? to Wisconsin
1: I grew up in Connecticut
0: Connecticut. I grew up okay. in
1: Connecticut. I moved but I moved to um I actually moved to central Minnesota when I was oh, Minnesota. like 15 and okay. then um Went to college at the University of Minnesota and then just found a house that I liked. There's a river that separates Wisconsin and Minnesota called the St. Croix and I just found a house that I liked on the St. Croix. So
0: is that where you kind of got your love of the North Country Is grown up a little bit up there?
1: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's it's just like as far as I'm concerned, any place that I can be where there are seasons and there's actually wildlife and fish and then a state with regulations that allow you to kind of get out and enjoy those things. Yeah. Well, then I can call that place home. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, But, uh, but yeah, I've just always been fixated on wildlife, man. And and I made it my professional career as a biologist and I did that for a very short time. Um, It was really funny. I don't think I've ever really talked about this, but I really considered going into medical school Mm. because I also really enjoy the human body and I really enjoy um, kind of the blood and guts of it. I enjoy seeing out how the pieces fit together and how the systems flow. And I like, scenarios of high risk like i the Mm. idea of burying myself into a situation and saving someone else's life is really attractive to me and yeah and um just to help you know to kind of fight for those that can't fight for themselves to help those that are that need a helping hand and like so I, Mm. i really considered going to medical school but um so i actually worked in a hospital for a really long time i worked um, as a cardiovascular technician while I was in school and then but yeah my, my whole life has been about being outside it's about being uh, around wildlife and and I know a lot of guys are as they say addicted to hunting and fishing and they want to make it their career or whatever it is but it was never that for me I was never I was just always addicted to I wasn't even addicted I had just a hunger to mm. see the animals, to, to learn about animals, but then to see the animals. And then when I learned about hunting and I learned about all these big adventures that somebody could go on, you know, I just started doing them as early as I could. And I mean like big adventures for me were going driving to northern Minnesota with a buddy of mine to go duck hunting. That was yeah, camping on a lake shooting bluebills or mallards and, and eating them at the campfire. Like that was yeah. a massive adventure to me and still is today. Like I still look at that. If I'm going to the Arctic circle for 30 days or I'm driving with a buddy to Northern Minnesota to go shoot bluebills, it's the exact same to me. If <laughs> nice. you were coming over and we were going to grab our 22 rifles and we were going to go on a squirrel hunt, um, here in, in Wisconsin, it would be the same. It's the nice. exact same. And, and so, um, you know, I don't even really, there's a series of events that kind of led to me being a filmmaker and mm. telling stories. Um, I left my biology, uh, career behind essentially and just realized that I didn't want to work my way up into an office. I didn't want to work up my way up into academia. I wasn't that successful as a, of a student anyway.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then it just kind of took, man, I started telling stories and, and, um, had a couple of hunts shot by photographers and wrote a couple of stories and talked through hundreds of stories. And one thing kind of led to another. And I, I met a crew that were really talented filmmakers and storytellers and um, production guys. And, and we kind of, it was a band of three, myself, Kyle, Nick and William Altman. And we just decided like, hey, let's start a company. And that's the concept. That was 10 years ago, 11 nice, years man. ago
0: so do do you do any like shooting and stuff like that or are you mainly talent as they say?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm talent as they say. Um, i'm I'm uh, you know, I'm either in front of the camera i'm um I, I love photography like i'm yeah. I'm actually starting to pick it up and shoot more and more. I, I I took a couple of classes when I was in college and and so I really love cameras and I really love, you know like I'm we're all like my team and I we all work together like, yeah, you know, if I see something, I'm like, "Hey, come here! Like, let's shoot this and let's do this!" Like, we're always sure. scheming together. But, um, and then, in our production work, um, which is funny, William Altman just did a podcast with Daniel Vitalis uh, from Maine, the Rewild mm-hmm. uh, Rewild Yourself podcast, I believe. And and um, and so, like, when we go do commercial shoots, William was uh, lamenting that it was awesome because I, I carry his stuff around for him. So even when we're doing commercial shoots, you know, I'm working as a grip, if you will. Nice. And yeah. so like, yeah, literally carrying cool. Pelican cases and set up shots. So,
0: so you guys are yeah. doing commercial shoots as well as making, making your films and if people haven't seen you. got You have, um, I guess the newest one is winds of ADAC. Yep. Um,
1: we have four titles out right now.
0: Okay. And then I, I also watched the other side which is uh, yep. about bear hunting, which is pretty yep. cool. Um, I haven't seen the other ones yet, but um, definitely recommend you yeah, go check them out.
1: Yeah, The Rivers Divide is our first one uh, about a deer hunt in North Dakota. And then we have um, Terra Nova, Three Days on the Island. It's about a woodland caribou hunt in Newfoundland. Uh, and Then cool. the other side, which is about bears, and then the Winds of Adak, which is about caribou hunting on in, uh, out on the Aleutian Chain. It's
0: yeah, gnarly man. place. Dangerous. Um, so I went on my first trip um last year to alaska we did a walk-in yeah walk-in caribou hunt yep um and uh so that would be east central alaska um between like chicken and eagle if you know the area i do yeah and there's a um some areas up there that are closed to combustion engines and we were in those in those types of areas and uh man it just changed my life man what an awesome place yeah so what yeah, like go ahead.
1: I'll I'll be heading up in September and which will be I don't know, my thirtieth trip, fortieth trip, something like yeah. that. Yep. Yeah,
0: I can't get enough. So I'm actually leaving August 20th. I'm going to Kodiak. So
1: Oh a place is incredible.
0: Yeah. You've you never there?
1: you've never been, obviously, right? Because you mm. didn't go last year. No. Yeah, that place is that place is incredible. You hunting deer.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm carrying um a couple deer tags and I got a caribou tag too just in case although the plan is for now is probably to fly into an alpine lake in yep. camp so I think last we heard the caribou would kind of stick into the lower elevations um, but would love to yeah do a combo if possible but mainly yeah. deer is kind of on the plate.
1: Yeah. Oh Kodiak is I mean it's stupendous. Yeah. And you'll and you'll see the bears like they're they're just as stupendous. They're amazing to see and be around and you know, they make the trip, um, I'll murder the quote, but Jack O'Connor has a quote where he talks about how much more interesting the forests are when there's a monster among them.
0: Oh yeah. For yeah. sure, man. Yeah. When you're not necessarily the apex predator.
1: Yeah. It's so much more interesting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. So um yeah. something you you mentioned earlier, um, about like wanting to stand up for those who who can't stand up for themselves and stuff like that. And it reminds me of this guy that I've been listening to lately called Greg Amundsen, who talks a lot about the warrior archetype in Mm -hmm. that a lot of men have. And that's, that's part of it is that, uh, want to stand up for someone who's not able to stand up for themselves and protect and fix and save a life. And, you know, I think we all kind of are wired to want to be a hero. And I think that the, a lot of the, uh, the warrior thing and the hunter thing go hand in hand. Um, what do you think about that?
1: I agree. Um, you know, I've never, um, I've never done anything militarily, and I've never been in a, a combat situation. I've been in a couple of situations which I would consider to be very, very hairy in Bangladesh and some situations in Russia, where I had plenty of machine guns pointed at me, and I didn't want them pointed at me. Um, but it was hardly a military situation. It was just a very aggressive people in very aggressive countries and very that uh, rough hunt? situations. Uh, one was biology and the other one was hunting. Okay, um, I was studying tigers in Bangladesh and uh, that was a really gnarly place. Very, very aggressive place.
0: I mean, I got to ask and, the uh, story on that.
1: Yeah, it was uh, just going through different customs and going through different checkpoints and, and then having um, groups of militia, if mm. you will, stopping convoys and going car to car with you know, with AKs and, yeah. and um, searching people, robbing people. Um, I don't know if anyone has was ever murdered in the convoys that I was stopped in, but it's a pretty pretty common thing for people to be kidnapped and then yeah. held for ransom and then murdered. Yeah. I think everyone that gets kidnapped is basically killed, but um, there are definitely some, you know, I'm sitting in a car. And I'm with my professor and he's like, I'm like, I was kind of freaking out. You know, there's actually a piece of jungle next to us i don't know if i've even ever told this story but these guys are coming down on machine guns and smashing the windows and looking in the cars and dragging people out and Mm -hmm. and i was looking at the jungle which was is probably like a 150 yard run or something like that and but there's pretty good like maybe knee high to waist high vegetation between I was like, man, should we make a run for it? And he's an older guy. The guy that I was doing work with, he was basically like Indiana Jones. Literally like one of the toughest. He was probably 65 years old at the time. One of the toughest men I've ever met in my life. Wow. And I'm like, do we make a run for it? And he's like, they'll mow us down. Like just stay. And so like they came to our car and they didn't break the window, but they smashed the window pretty hard with the gun barrel, but it didn't break. And then I just kept like, I almost acted like I couldn't hear him. Yeah you know, and I just kept facing forward and then like somebody ye- one of them yelled about another car like a few cars away and it took the there were three guys next to our car two or three guys and it took their attention and they went over there and then they never came oh, back. Wow. And then there was a bus that was lit on fire and then we ended up like scooting around the bus and like Dang. leaving. That so, sounds sketchy. <laughs> stuff like that but um I do think um I've been around a lot of, um, I shouldn't say a lot, but uh, several Green Berets, uh, Scout Snipers, Navy SEALs, um, and then just some, um, call it normal or regular infantry guys. And yeah, I think there's a really close commonality. I mean, those guys have a really special um, set of skills, and I think Mm -hmm. it lives between their ears. I think a lot of guys want to think about Navy SEALs being super tough Right. And Green Berets being super tough. And I don't think that's true at all. I don't think that's, I think everything that they have lives between their ears. I think they're, as a group of SEALs or snipers, or I think they're incredibly intellectual. Mm -hmm. And then they um, have this, you know, kind of have this gene of not being stubborn, but knowing that they don't have to give up. They know that they have one more step. I think that's the secret sauce is that. A lot of guys are like, I'm out, like, I'm exhausted. I can't do this anymore. I can't see straight. I don't even know where I am anymore. Yeah. Um, and they fail out whether they want to or not. And I think the guys that make it and that exceed in those programs, I think they're very, very intellectual. And then I think they have that little twisted fate in their heads of saying they always realize they can go one more second. Mm. And that one more second earns them a minute, earns them an hour, earns them a day. Yeah, and then and then their lives continue, but they're special people, and uh, yeah, for sure, very much appreciated.
0: Yeah, I heard I've heard people say before, like when you think you're done, you still have forty percent left. I think they just know that, you know. How
1: how, how scary is that to <laughs> think of what we could accomplish?
0: I know, man. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. So, and then going back to the storytelling thing, I mean, you know, I feel like story has been a part of like human existence for like going back to cave paintings and and a lot of them, the storytellers were hunters coming back and telling the stories. What role do you think the story play in like the life of a man or maybe just you and a hunter, you know? Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I think it's a couple of things. I think it's history, right? I think it's us learning as we're, as we're progressing and we're finding our own wisdom, it's relaying that wisdom and, and doing so with, some color and with some detail, yeah. you end up getting, you end up getting a story out of it. And then you end up really evoking emotion and a response from the person. And, you know, like I said to you earlier, you said, how'd you get into this? And I said, and I, I, and I, I shouldn't have, but I basically glossed over it and said, um, you know, I did some magazine articles and then I did some photo shoots and stuff like that. But really um, m- my career just started to kind of, um, take off is, is I started working with individual groups and I, I did a shoot with a photographer named John Hafner mm-hmm. uh, he's a professional photo guy in the outdoor, excuse me, industry super talented and he shot me for um, we were working on another project together mm-hmm. and he um, he found out that I was going on a sheep hunt in the Yukon territories uh, hunting at a place that I've always wanted to hunt at a good friend of mine. Chris McKinnon owns an outfit called bonnet plume outfitters, mm-hmm. really fantastic place. And, um, I was going there for the first time and, and, um, and John found out about, it and he goes, Hey, I'm supposed to be shooting an adventure piece for Peterson's hunting, a cover story for Peterson's hunting magazine. Could, would you be the subject matter? And I said, yeah, man, I love that. You know, and we, worked out the details and he came along on the trip and he shot all these beautiful photographs. And for the first time ever, when I was coming home from a trip, I had all these assets to literally show people like, here's the Ram. Like you see, we climbed up this drainage and really kind of took people on the trip with me. And then that led to a conversation with, some of the gentlemen at Sitka gear, you know, I ended up Mm -hmm. meeting guys like Jonathan Hart. And, and then um, they introduced me to a couple other guys over here who introduced me. so it just kind of started to be this network of, Hey, you're doing some really pretty cool things, both pretty, I mean, visual, pretty and cool, you know, just uh, very adventurous. And you're good at articulating what happened and what you're doing and so we'd like to use you over here nice. so then those those things started stepping as step stones and then and then I started with my own crew because once when you work in this business or any business probably and like whether you're a medical doctor a race car driver a lawyer whatever it is when you work for someone you know, you're shaping your talents, but under their umbrella. Mm. And so then you kind of like keep mitigating up. And then eventually if you're that type of person, you say, what you're doing is awesome, but I want to do it slightly differently. So I'm going to step over here and do my own umbrella. And that's what we did 10 years ago. You know, like, I wouldn't be here without Sitka gear. I wouldn't be here without some of the super talented people that I've got to meet and work with. And that kind of would open up another door and open up another door. And so, um, yeah it's 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 super important it's super important for us to relay history it's super important for us to identify who we are to teach young people to teach our peers to teach even our elders like the fact that the notion of thinking that if you're a peer in age you know more than this guy down here in age is a ridiculous fashion like there's contribution that slips both ways and so i think stories hugely important
0: Yeah, I think you have done a really good job of portraying hunting in a very positive light. I think that's also something that's really important, you know, right now, especially as there's more and more antis and that kind of thing. You know, has that been like an intentional kind of choice on your part or is that just kind of who you are or a little both?
1: A little both. Um, Originally, when I started writing content for hunters, um, I left. Kind of the center line of where of my thinking was mm. as I was growing up and hunting with different guys, I really struggled finding hunters that I related to. Mm. Um, I go hunt with guys and I say, mm, like I hear them say things and literally make my skin crawl. Yeah, and they just say, and I'm I'm splitting hairs here, but they'd say something like super macho, and I'd just be like, yeah, I don't really like that, you know, like. <laughs> So I'll give you a, for instance, like they shoot a deer or something and say, yeah, I got that son of a bitch, you know? And I just, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't like that, you know? And yeah. so like, I was kind of like ping ponged away, And then I mostly started hunting by myself. But when mm. I first started doing some professional work, I wrote a couple of pieces for a film that we we're working on. And um, our editor at Sigmanta, Kyle Nicolite, I handed him the script and he's like, this is terrible, Donnie. He's like, I wasn't calling a deer a son of a bitch but basically he's like you wrote this for hunters yeah i said yeah and he's like no you need to write this for yourself Mm. be yourself write this for yourself and then if people watch it great we'll make another one if people don't watch it we move on and do something else but if we don't do it honestly then Mm -hmm. we'll never really understand what we're doing and so one of the things that i consciously do now that i'm writing for a film is both to tell the story of what really happened, not sensationalize it, but really tell the story of what happened. Because yeah. what really happened is often dangerous enough, uncomfortable enough, exciting enough, beautiful enough. Like you don't have to say we we're hanging from our fingertips on a cliff, right? You don't have to embellish this stuff, which a lot of people do. But yeah. um, but in doing so, I will write in a manner so that people that have questions about hunting or are concerned about hunting or don't understand hunting can maybe garner some answers from the writing and what we do in our films to maybe educate them to ask some better questions or to really ask different questions of themselves or hunters they have in their lives, but just to kind of not to sway them or not to persuade them, but to inject more um, critical conversation between hunters and non hunters and and even anti-hunters or whatever but just kind of like i don't want them coming away from the film with their arms crossed going nope hate this i'm not buying a word of it i want them coming away from the film saying i now i don't really understand or know where my line is and i see the guy in the film doesn't really know or understand the line of where he is Mm because i also have questions all the time how could we not things are changing all the time so if he's asking him self questions as a hunter it seems to be i should probably be asking myself questions as a non-hunter or anti-hunter yeah and there's probably um you know there's answers that sway both places and you can be against hunting but you there's no way that you can say it's wrong or unethical or immoral or can't be done like it's impossible to argue um the benefits of hunting when you do it in a particular manner with particular species and And with regulation. And and, um, really, all of this stems from us being provided for. Mm. If we weren't delivering food to people's front doors into the grocery store, there wouldn't be a single person against hunting. Oh, yeah. Not one.
0: Yeah, Yeah. for sure, man. So we were were talking a little bit about kind of the industry and like perceptions of hunters and stuff like that. I'm interested to see or interested to know like – um your thoughts on like what are some what are some bright kind of spots in the hunting industry slash community and what are maybe some areas that could use some improvement?
1: Um <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Um bright spots I would say um and this has maybe been beat up a little bit, but um I like what Jason Harrison did with kuyu Mm. um i liked where he um jason and i didn't always get along but um i really liked um how he designed his clothing and i'm not talking about a uh i'm not talking about a um a product necessarily but i just liked his approach to how he uh fostered his gear and that he developed it with this hard line of of hunting was the dna the yeah. dna the dna and i really like that about jason that he developed this line of gear sold it to hunters at a better price point is better gear i, I like the technical aspect that he brought to things he's a very smart guy sure. very driven guy <clears throat> and i liked how he i liked the um the sub culture that he cultivated and the group that he cultivated Sa- same with sitka gear yeah um but i, I really sick Gear was. They did it okay um i think jason did it beautifully mm. um as far as bright spots go um i mean it's really tricky for me to articulate i think everything that i kind of fall to for a bright spot is uh from fostering invention right i think like um I think there are some really brilliant hunters out there. Uh, Cody D'Acquisto and his dad, Andre D'Acquisto, they're whitetail hunters out of Iowa. They're mm-hmm. originally out of Wisconsin, but out of Iowa, they have lone wolf custom gear at the oh, yeah. tree stands. Yeah, I've got a lone wolf cameras. climber. Yeah, they're um, they're incredible. Andre and and um, Cody are incredible at inventing gear, and they do so, I, I say this, because it stems from them being amazing hunters yeah. and really having their finger on the pulse of, how they want to engage with wild places and, mm-hmm. and kind of move around. I think there's some really beautiful um, writing out there um, that that people are doing and, and um, an actual painting. I think there's some really beautiful wildlife work um, out there. But you know, uh, there's a lot that I'm concerned about, right? So I just found out a couple of weeks ago, I was at um, a friend of mine's house, Lee Chose. He's a photographer out of Minnesota super talented guy he owns chose outdoors and i walked into he has a pretty famous barn that he does a lot of work in Mm -hmm. and he has this big picture of um his yellow lab he has a yellow lab um oh my god i'm gonna be so embarrassed i can't remember the name (laughs) cap holy cow um his
0: name the name is cap
1: that dog's name is cap i i got confused for a second because he used to have a yellow lab named sackett that was a really really amazing dog and and now he has this dog named cap and cap is on the cover of the last and he has it blown up and Lee shot it, but he has this cover. Uh-huh. It's the last physical magazine of outdoor life. Mm. They're not going to print it anymore. Oh, it's wow. now just going to be online.
0: I didn't even and know that. I,
1: yeah. So I think that's disgusting. Yeah. Um, th- literally an outdoor company is promoting more screen time. Yeah. Like We want you on your computers. And we want you on these stupid things more for yeah. outdoor life. But we want you reading about outdoor stuff on a place that you got to be plugged in. Yeah. That's makes interesting. Makes me want to throw up. Yeah. Yeah. It's because
0: it's, at least of a magazine, you can at least take it out in a tree stand or take it into your tent yeah. at night or whatever.
1: What? Well, and, and how do you hand down, you know, like I have stacks and I won't run down there and get them right now, but I have stacks of magazines downstairs from the 1960s, yeah, 1970s. And I buy them. Actually, family and friends will get them for me as gifts. Wow. People like if it's my birthday or something, somebody will literally hand me a 1969 Outdoor Life magazine with an article from Jack O'Connor, who's a guy that I find terrible inspiration from. So, anyway, I just, you know, I think those are are kind of um, negative things. I think even though where my where kind of my career has gone, I think, um, you know, I think outdoor TV has been. It's a, that's a tough one, man. Yeah. It's pretty bad. It's mm-hmm. pretty bad. The, the, um, just the, the, yeah, it's just, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of Machuism around it. Sure. And, a, and, uh, and commercialism, you know, commercialism. And, and yeah. so that I I don't know so much about the industry, Yeah. but I will say this regarding hunting. I've met and maybe it's because I am who I am and I'm traveling to the place I'm traveling, but I seem to have met more soulful hunters, more guys that are really doing it for the weather, uh, to get dirt under their fingernails, to see the animals, to experience the animals, to yeah. actually like, they enjoy cutting the animals up and getting them on the table and f- having these conversations and really intertwining themselves in their ecosystem, yeah. really intertwining themselves the in the other experience. Collection. Men and women, that's right. Immersing themselves with other hunters, kinda growing this whole relationship with the with outside and the people around them. I I've run into a lot more of that now than I did when I was a kid. Yeah. And um, you know, but I think, you know, like um yeah, I I, I think there are some good aspects of of the outdoors right now, but yeah. um it's complicated, man. It's yeah. really complicated with our phones right. and computers. It's really complicated. I feel like,
0: for me in my own personal journey, it's been an awesome rebirth as I have opened up and and learned about backcountry hunting and um and you know going up to Alaska and so And it, like it just, like you said, it doesn't have to be Alaska. It can be down the road, but getting that as Im- a mindset. Yeah, that immersive experience or even instead of, you know, driving out, walking 300 yards to your stand and then driving home, uh, you know, setting up a tent, um, and being out there for six days, even if it is an hour from your house or or in Alaska, um, it's totally different. So, um, that's been an amazing like rebirth for me. Like, it's like, I started hunting all over again. It just changed my life. Yeah.
1: Yeah, That's incredible. I mean, um, I remember a few years ago and I, I might be making this up, but I've Good friends um, are the gentlemen from Heartland Bow Hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean Luchtel and Michael Hunsucker, fantastic guys, great hunters, good families, just solid dudes. Yeah. Um, they didn't tell me this, but someone else told me this. And so the, I don't know that this is verbatim, but years ago, um, they did a, a, I think it was a spring turkey hunting trip. And they literally, and again, I could be lying out my teeth right now, <laughs> but someone told me this and maybe it was Sean or Michael himself. doesn't, doesn't matter. But years ago they went on a Turkey hunting trip. I think it was a spring Turkey hunting trip in like Kansas, uh-huh. which is essentially where they live. Um, and they car camped, mm-hmm. like literally went to, you know, like a camped in somebody's farm field, but their trucks were parked right there. Yeah. They still had all the amenities that you would have basically at home. They were car camping. They were not roughing it, but they were car camping and then they went Turkey hunting, but they were returning to their tents, you know, after Turkey mm-hmm. hunting and, and I think it was, uh, somebody, somebody told me that it was one of their most watched episodes and like most appreciated episodes, hmm. most commented on episodes. Yeah. And so, because everyone like this idea of having a little bit of adventure in your, yes. like turkey hunting is great when you can return home and do all those things. But turkey hunting is way better if you're returning to a, a pop-up tent or to a teepee where you then can have a wood fire and you're talking to the guy or the girl that you're with and you're talking about gobbles you heard or trout that you caught in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. It's just adding a little bit of adventure to your life, moving your body, moving your mind. And then this, maybe even you're going to ask me about this, but I was just part of a book project with um, an author named Michael Easter, a book called the comfort crisis. Oh Oh, yeah. 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 And so like,
0: Oh, I forgot that you always, guys were, that you worked together or on that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So
1: we collaborated on that. So nice. we, we, we did a, he wrote an article about me in men's health magazine in 20, I think it was May, 2018 was the issue. And he came with me on an elk hunt in Nevada. Yeah. He came, um, I was there for 21 days. He was there, I think for like four or five days, but he came, we hiked to 10,000 feet or 12,000 feet, whatever it was. Um, we were in the shell Creek range and. We'd get up in the morning, like, undo the tent. I'd poke my head out, you know, to Michael, and he'd, he's like, freaking like, I mean, gloves, every jacket he has, like, hat, just, and it's, I mean, it's warm. Like, I'm getting out of I'll probably get out of my tent naked, and he's getting out, he's, he's like, hey. And we'd sit down, and I'd make coffee, or whatever and we'd sit there and and sometimes we're sitting there on this rock hill there's a huge canyon below us we'd hear a bugle just just rip from the bottom you know we're sipping on coffee or tea whatever it was and and uh and he would just ask me questions man yeah he just so why not just go to the grocery store and he'd ask me all these questions and we just this conversation just went on right yeah we spent this time together. It was beautiful. It was amazing, and um, and we got there were six of us in our crew. Mm. So it's me and my two photographers, and then um, the Justin Bastian, a friend of mine who's an adventure photographer. He was there. That was the first project we worked on together. He's an amazing guy. His assistant and then Michael. So there's six of us. Mm. We all snuck within 18 yards of a six by six bull out. Wow. A young one, but yeah, still a, a, like a three year old nonetheless. And so anyway. It was very impactful for everyone involved, myself, my crew, other crew, um, and um, and then when he got home, he was just like, he just felt like this energy. Yeah. He's like, so, he asked me, he's like, what would ha- so if you would have shot that elk, what would have happened? And I said the arrow would have went in. I said it would have went through the elk so fast you wouldn't you'd be like, did you hit him? He's like, no, kidding. I said, yeah. And I said that blood would start shooting, literally dumping out of both sides because we're using a scalpel to yeah disrupt to slice and cause major major um blood loss but and through his arteries through his lungs and i said then he'd run a short distance probably be confused his lungs would be filling with blood he'd look around he'd go into his uh, parasympathetic nervous system his pupils would be dilated yeah done and he'd be done and he would never even really feel pain i've i've never been shot by an arrow but i've three or four friends that have, and they oh, all really? have told me that there was no pain, that there was just some pressure. And, you know, they were panicked because they knew what happened. But yeah. the Animal is not going to know what happened right. anyway. Um, and so Michael went and started exploring these notions of why he felt so alive and hmm. rejuvenated after coming back from just a few days of being in Nevada. And so he started talking to scientists at all these different universities for that story. Yeah. And he came to find out that literally being outside for even just a couple of days yeah. changes our bodies, yeah. changes our minds, our physiology, like literally, physically changes how our mind is functioning, how our body is functioning, the things that we're thinking about, how well we're able to articulate what we want to say, yeah. our, our creativity, our cognitive retention, mm. Um it's just incredible and so then he wanted to do a book project and so then we went to alaska for 30 days and yeah and um, i actually went for 60 days or 40 50 days and he went for 30 days and yeah um incredible but my whole point is like when you are doing these things whether it be tur- ca- car camping when you're turkey hunting all the way to going up to the arctic circle like the reason michael and sean did such a beautiful job in car camping on that episode of harlan bowhunters because you know they were improving their own experience by hunting that way and thus it probably came across on camera a little bit more vibrant with a little bit more storytelling yeah and then it probably captured the minds of their audience a little bit more and the people that want to do those things Um, are longing to do those things and then just naturally engage with their energy. And so the, you know, the episode went up. but that's, I'm only surmising, but yeah, no, yeah, I think it's, I think it's really an amazing way to hunt.
0: Totally, man. And when you were saying that, it made me think like, like we've gotten so detached that like we've come to a place where many people think your natural habitat is in an air conditioned fluorescent lighted, like hermetically sealed, like office building when really, our natural habitat is on that mountainside in those woods, you know, waking up in a tent or whatever. It's like yeah. taking a lion that was in captivity and like dropping him in the natural world. And of course he's going to be more happy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at, <laughs> you know, look at the, look at that atrophy that happens to a killer, killer whale's whale. dorsal fin, yeah. right?
0: Just that's, depressed. That's what,
1: we're, that's what we do. Yeah. Our cars, our trucks, our houses, our... Grocery carts are everything.
0: Just is yeah. little
1: minuscule pieces of atrophy in our lives, and so mm. we are now a nation of, I mean, we're not we're fat. Yeah, as a people, oh, we're yeah. fat. Like you can take COVID, ball it up, <clears throat> throw it away. You can talk any anything you want to talk about, ball it up and throw it away. Let's talk about obesity. Yeah. Let's talk about obesity, like even alcoholism, drug abuse, uh, whatever else you want to talk about. Ball it up, throw it away. Let's talk about obesity because that, not only is it killing people, people aren't even living. People don't even live their lives. I had a business meeting this morning, and I'm guilty, super guilty. I had a business (laughs) meeting this morning, met at um, Caribou Coffee, and I was sitting there. I didn't go pick my coffee beans. I was sitting there having a cup of coffee meeting with Kyle Nick like this morning. And, and, um, but I was just watching the people coming in through the door and it was, I mean, 95% were obese. I would say something like that. And those people might think they're existing or living because they, they get to crush pizza and donuts and (laughs) get to sit and watch TV and all this stuff. But really like, if you, I was thinking about this, if, there was a guy in line and he was literally like his tummy was like dripping (laughs) over his belt. Yeah. Right. Like it looked like it was fluid dripping over (laughs) his belt. And he was a relatively young guy. I'd say he was in his late forties, early fifties. And I just thought if you could grab that guy, just be like, Hey, uh, Brad, come here. (laughs) And like Brad for the next two weeks, you eat only what I tell you to eat, and you come to the gym with me, and you come hiking with me, and you come biking with me, and you come whatever else it is that I'm doing with me. Yeah. In two weeks, you are never, ever going to want to look back.
0: Oh, at yeah. The
1: bread that I yanked out of the line in caribou coffee. And so
0: 100%.
1: Yeah, man. I just, I wish people like got to Dude, live, like you said, their potential, right?
0: Yeah. And the crazy thing is, I've been Brad. I've been that I think
1: probably we all have. Right. But <laughs> tell me about yours.
0: So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, as I stand right now, I'm 175 pounds two years ago, I weighed 250 pounds. Mm-mm. Yeah. And I just got out of rehab, you know, for drug addiction. So I've been, I've been there and I know firsthand, I'm like a human lab rat. I know firsthand that, uh, my life is just exponentially better and it comes, you know, it's, it's not just the gym. It's been, yeah. um, you know, spiritual discipline, and spiritual rebirth and growth. Yep. It's been mental and physical. And, um, my gosh, like I, I just like this adventure I went on last year to Alaska. I mean, yeah. two years ago, physically, mentally, and spiritually, I would have been completely incapable of even thinking about doing it. Um, and now, like, and just getting back from an adventure like that, you realize, like, what you are capable of. It's yeah. amazing.
1: Yeah. Cool. Congratulations, man. That is <laughs> – Thanks. Incre- Did the weight gain come from you stopping using drugs or was that weight gain during using that drugs? That was
0: part – so I was I was never, like, in great shape or, like, super athletic. And yeah. then – but then – but I was, like, addict skinny kind of – but not really skinny. I still – I was just, like, average. And yep. then when I got out and got clean, I would just be like bored at night and just eat everything and oh, yeah. still wasn't going yeah. to the gym or doing anything. Yeah. Uh, and then it just got to the point where I was like, I feel like a slob. I was embarrassed to take my shirt off in front of my own wife. And I was like, yeah. this yeah. has got to change. Um, yeah. And so that got me like half the way. And then my buddy, who's an ex um, Navy special warfare dude in top shape, talks me into going to Alaska. And then he's like, oh, you know, it won't be that bad. (laughs) And then I start, yeah, I start thinking about, like, wait a second, like, we're going to be hiking in multiple, multiple miles, days of camp. And this dude's ex Navy special warfare. Yeah, it's going to be tough. So I started training my ass off and lost the rest of it. And my life just like, the weight went this way. My life was like this.
1: (laughs) See? Yeah. I mean, that's even if, let's just say, the weight's going like this, right? And your life is going like this. But even if something happens in there, yeah, car accident, whatever, like you're going to die on your best day. Yeah, like you are. You are. Like people are always worried. Like, oh, what if this? What if this? What if this? this? Are you worried about an airplane crash? No. <laughs> no. Like, yeah. I, I'll deal with it the day it happens. And if I don't die in the wreckage, then we'll we'll deal with fixing it but i want to push until yeah man and, and i'm not the first i'll guarantee you i'm not and i didn't i had this epiphany uh, a couple of weeks ago i was doing a podcast with a gentleman i had this epiphany through talking with michael easter from the comfort crisis yeah you know we're again this is not revolutionary but it when it hit me it hit me like a two by four. And smart people that are listening to this are gonna be like, oh my word, this kid is a moron (laughs) that it took him this long to think about this. But it really just hit me is that our life expectancy keeps going up. And so people always talk about that as a good thing. Yeah. And for the first time ever, it hit me that that was a terrible thing Hmm. because the only reason our life expectancy is going up is because our life is going down <laughs> yeah. we are exerting less energy we are yeah. putting ourselves in less dangerous situations we are now cultivating a alphabet of pharmaceuticals yeah. to handle every bump and bruise and inflammation and in, like instead of I'll be very careful with my words but it just seems that we are, just, our hearts might be beating a little bit longer yeah. in time, but I think our quality of life, quality, is garbage, and who we are as a person, garbage. Like yeah. I think it's dead. I don't think it's dying. I think it's dead. <laughs> like I, like we're human beings, right? Yeah. We're strong. We can carry backpacks. We can shoot bows. Shoot rifles. We can fight wars. We can dig out fields we can build barns Mm -hmm. we can fix cars we can do all of this stuff and yet we still have massive portions of our population that are unwilling to engage in any of this like i see kids all the time (laughs) i just saw some kids and god bless her creativity but i was doing a mountain bike ride the other night and i was going up this hill and there were a bunch of kids hanging out next to this river and i was just thinking to myself if if kids from the 1920s or early 1900s could see these kids oh yeah they would just be like what kind of what planet did you come (laughs) from and can i see your spaceship yeah because these kids are wearing like clothing made out of stuffed animals and and I'm I'm all about expression like Yeah. I'm not talking about piercings and tattoos. I'm not saying they were weird. I'm not saying it at all, but it's just like Yeah. Yeah, it was just a little microcosm of For sure. like I wish I could sit all these kids down and be like, "Let me tell you what I know." Well, they're probably soft and
0: they're probably soft and fluffy too, which
1: Yes. Oh yes. Oh like yeah. one of the kids or two of the kids were relatively skinny, the rest of them were I would consider, you know, I'm not a doctor, but borderline morbidly obese. Yeah. And I would say all of them were in their
0: teens, Mm -hmm. maybe even mid-teens. Yeah. It's sad, man. And like going back to what you said earlier too, like I made this decision a a long time ago. I got lost along the way, but, and well, the world told me a lie of what really life and adventure was, but um, I've always had this sense that. I would rather live to be 50 or 60 and have stories to tell and have lived a full, awesome life than be a soft, fat 98-year-old with having done no living. Yeah. You know?
1: Absolutely. So let me ask you, if I may ask about your drug abuse, like Mm -hmm. what – how do those guys, the guys that are peddling the narcotics, the drugs, how do those guys – convince guys like you to take this trip
0: so like i said going back to like the lie i was told so i i always had in my heart this deep-seated need for adventure right um and like living life to the fullest somewhere along the line um the enemy i would just say in my how i see it the, you know, spiritual forces of evil, the devil, whatever you want to say, convinced me through the world that the way to live my life to the fullest to get the most out of my life was to live this rock and roll party lifestyle. And I was a musician and a band and all that in college. And that was kind of the lie that got it started. And it just started small, you know, started with alcohol, then the, the weed, and then started the pills, and then just progressed and got worse um, to the point where I was I – was, I guess it's okay to say this publicly, but <laughs> I had figured out how to order fentanyl on the dark net. So I wasn't even going to drug dealers anymore. It was like showing up in my mailbox yeah, through like Bitcoin. And dude, it was crazy. Yeah. But anyway, I don't like, I, so I guess to answer your question, it was, it wasn't really like any person or drug dealer that yeah. kind of talked. It was like, I see it as evil and a lie being told to me. And so then what happened was, As you get more into addiction, that desire that God put in my heart for adventure and these things I'm living now Mm -hmm. became so far out of reach because I was addicted to a substance and living this horrible life. It made me even more heart sick. And then I would use more to cover that. And then I got even further from the true life and adventure. And it was a cycle of guilt and shame and more use and that taking me further and more and more and more. Does that make sense? Yeah
1: yeah oh yeah yeah i I grew up in a house with drug addicts and so like i i saw this stuff kind of firsthand and that's why i was really curious because when i grew up so i'm 46 so my siblings um i was born in 74 so they were uh, it's embarrassing for me to even admit this but i can't (laughs) even tell you how old my brother or sister are but they're several years older than i am um but i always saw their uh addiction and not to not to uh, get down a rabbit hole, but I always saw their addiction coming from friends of theirs who are super charismatic, mm. like kind of the life of the party type guy yeah. came and made sure everyone was having a good time. Like he was having a good time and things just kind of escalated and got, Yeah. and then from there I saw it firsthand where it was, um, everything was a bad day and it was never their fault. Mm. It was everyone else's fault that yeah. there was a bad day. And so I saw this stuff when I was growing up and I was just always curious, like, I don't know. It's um, yes. Um, I'm, I mean, it's amazing that you freaking bury that demon. That is a, yeah, that well, is a big one, man. That is a big one to put behind you.
0: Yeah, and I couldn't have done it without without God. Um, so I have to give some glory there. Uh, it definitely took hard work on my part too, um, you know, yeah, but more than you realize. Yeah,
1: yeah. So what was it like? So putting all that behind you, mm-hmm. and then um, when you got to Alaska, did you? Did a bus drop you off? Did you guys park a vehicle? Like, how did you start hiking? And yeah. what I'm curious, just I want I know this is a podcast with me, but I want to know about no, it's you. cool. Yeah. So, like, how um, how did you get to Alaska? Yeah. Where'd you land? Where did you go? What were your first impressions? Because I'll my first trip to Alaska was in '96. Mm-hmm. I've missed, I think, one or two years since. Several years, I've went multiple times. Yeah. What was your experience
0: going? Yeah, man. So, uh, man, it was literally, it sounds so cliche, but it was life changing. Um, oh, yeah. Like where I am right now, sitting here with this podcast, talking to Donnie Vincent would not have happened if I had not booked that trip to Alaska. None sure. of it. Yeah. Um, so, but so my friend actually is like a friend of a friend. Didn't know him that well. But it, as you probably know, it can be hard to find people to commit to a serious adventure like this. Yeah. Um, so he he messaged me kind of, uh, you know, one of probably 10 people he messaged, hey, talking about doing this caribou thing in Alaska next year, are you interested? And I was like, yes, I'm interested. Because it was just, uh, it was a perfect timing. I feel like it was God's timing. Um, I had already decided I am doing this Western hunting thing. Like, I'm clean. I'm getting in better shape. I'm doing it. And then he messaged me like, hey, want to go to Alaska? yes because yes. <laughs> that was one of the things that i talked myself out of it before was like oh i don't understand the tags and you know it's hard yeah. and whatever i'll just stick yeah. to whitetails anyway so i said yes um and then that was like a year of just transformation of training of learning everything i could about backpack hunting um yeah. just ch- like ch- total transformation um and then yeah so then we flew up there um Flew into Fairbanks and then rent, rented a U-Haul. Yeah. Because you can save thousands of dollars from renting a U-Haul instead of a four, yeah. four by four. I found that yeah. and I was like, I thought it was so smart, but apparently I'm not the first one that's done that.
1: No, it's, it's smart. <laughs> hey, did you look into any of the other rentals?
0: Yeah, we looked at like a truck and it's like three, four grand. And I was like, <laughs> dude, we could just rent a U-Haul van. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's yeah, what we I did.
1: did. I did one one year where literally. We considered buying a truck. Oh yeah, the rental was so expensive. Yeah, we considered just buying a truck and then just leaving it with a friend when we left.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. it's it's ridiculous. So we got that U-Haul van. We nicknamed it Huey, and uh, and we drove from Fairbanks to Toke. and then Toke drove through Chicken, almost to Eagle. And if you're, from, I don't want to necessarily name the control. No, don't, don't, yeah, don't. Don't, don't. but it was an area where there's no motor vehicles allowed between yeah. chicken and Eagle. Yeah. That's pretty specific. But anyway, yeah. um, and yeah, it was just like, as we're driving in, like, it feels like, you know, in high school, like we're about to go to a wrestling match or, a, um, I yeah. played lacrosse. So like about, about yeah. to be a big lacrosse game, like kind of scary, excited, like, Whoa, what are we doing? Yeah. Um, and it was a culmination of a year of training and prep, you know? Yeah. And, um, and then yeah we just uh, we found the spot and I was like, let' let's, let's freaking do this and we strap it on and um, and started booking and the first you know thing that comes to my mind is my glutes just started burning really bad because <laughs> <laughs> I still hadn't like I still was carrying a 10 pound rifle and you know I hadn't yeah. completely got my system totally yeah. dialed so I had a lot of extra well, it's,
1: weight. It's, that's, it's really hard hiking.
0: It is yeah, yeah. and yeah. that other thing too is like I trained well. But I, 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 I come from flatland, so, I mean, yeah. um, it's hard to really train for mountains. But I found that, like, you know, strengthening your glutes is actually way more important than strengthening your quads. And yeah. I think I spent too much time on my quads. But um, anyway, and then it was yeah. just – and then the thing that was just amazing to me and still why I love it up there is, you know, in the lower 48 – even if you're in this huge wilderness, you know if you keep going long enough, like you're going to hit a highway at some point or, you yeah. know, pretty much. I mean – or oh, no,
1: there's – yeah, you're going to walk into a civilization. Yeah, eventually. Yeah. yeah.
0: Out there, it's like, dude, you could walk until you probably die and you will oh, not – Or you will. Yeah, and yeah. you will not find anybody else. There will be animals yeah. out there that will live and die their entire life and never see a human – like, yep. it's just freaking magical, man. And so yep. just like the possibility of that and like the adventure is just, uh, that's why like, if I can afford it and my wife will let me, I will go back every year myself.
1: Yeah. And you can, you can't afford not to go.
0: Yes. True.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's really what a boy, I mean, you might have to take your kid with you. You might have to take your wife with you. You might, you might have to go for a shorter time. You might have to hunt blackberries, but you can't afford not to
0: yeah. go. Right? I agree. It's so
1: funny. Like we have this hierarchy of, like animal worth. You know, people are like, "You going sheep hunting? Are you going moose hunting?" Are yeah. you, you know, like I'll I'll tell people that, like I really love caribou hunting and and they'll be like, "Oh, you're not going moose hunting and but really if you were to if I were to sell you on this black bear.
0: Oh like, yeah.
1: the, the, these black bears are delicious and they have the blackest, softest, longest fur. And I made it $30,000 to hunt a black bear. That would be the only thing that you could think about. And people would be like, oh, yeah. oh my God, I'm going to Alaska black bear hunting. But the fact that they're very inexpensive to hunt, you can get multiple tags, you can shoot multiple bears. People are like, oh yeah, you're going on a black bear hunt. But oh, it's yeah. all just, that's, I mean, it's, it's your mindset of like, you know, where you're going, what you're doing. Now I'd go on a black um, bear
0: hunt today. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Yes. It's
1: so incredible, man. It's so incredible. And so uh, that's really cool. So how is your, um, I might be doing this drive, actually. Okay. Um, how is your drive to from Fairbanks to Toke?
0: Oh, not bad at all. Yeah, I mean, it's um, the to Toke. I mean, it's all paved road, if I'm remembering yeah. correctly. But then, yeah, once you start getting, you know, about half the way to chicken, it turns to paved and I mean, uh, unpaved. Sorry. Um, but even then it's, it was not bad at all. I mean, we're in a two wheel drive, you know, van, um, but the roads were, and I was getting kind of nervous about that too, but no, the the roads were fine and we were almost all the way clean to Eagle.
1: Okay. And were you guys, um, were you successful?
0: So short answer is no, but the long answer is yes, we were successful. I changed my, we did not kill a caribou but we were successful but so we we spent um on the pack on the pack in we looked down and a a nice bull caribou full sprint going the opposite way from us it was strange but um it was opening it was a day before opener so we couldn't shoot yeah we get in find our camp spot i am not kidding you man you could not walk two feet without stepping in caribou droppings or tracks I mean, yep. they were there, but ju- just there, just there. It must have been a week, maybe two weeks before. Yeah, and I mean, there was um, wolf kills, and we yep. heard wolves, but they just they had been there, but they just weren't anymore. So we stayed yep. there three or four days. Beautiful, killed some ptarmigan, ate some ptarmigan, delicious. Yep. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, and then we then we decided we need to cut our losses, and we headed up to. Um, the Sties, a different Steese Highway area. Okay. And um, we knew we were going to be competing with locals on ATVs, but we just said, you know, let's screw it. We got to do it. So, but we got in as deep as we could and found a spot where we had, you know, midweek had it basically to ourselves. Yeah. And, um, and I, we, I got in a stalk on, um, on one that in retrospect, we think was a young bull, but okay. I was in, you know, I was 120 yards from it, but we just, it was yeah. like 11 o'clock at night. We just couldn't be 100% certain it wasn't a cow. So yeah. we decided not to pull the trigger. Okay. Um, and my buddy had like the year before he'd gone with another friend and same thing happened. He was like, I don't know, man. I don't know. And his buddy's like, screw it. And shot and it was a cow. And so oh. he had a bad taste in his mouth. And yeah. in retrospect, I wish I had done a little bit more research on identifying them instead of kind of relying on him. That's one yes. area where I kind of failed because yep. i wish i would just but whatever anyway and yeah. then we had another stalk um we had, on the way out we had a a, a young bull come from a thousand yards walk 15 feet from us yeah and i could yeah. i could see like the color of his eyes oh, yeah. yeah, um but same thing we just weren't 100 percent sure if it was a Yep. a bull with undescended testicles or a cow yeah. and yeah. we didn't shoot it turns out there's a game warden like <laughs> just around the corner like down yeah. where our truck was so it was good but yeah. anyway um we did not harvest one long yeah. that's the long story
1: yeah no it's good that's good i've been on oh man i have i mean i've i've come home from alaska without an animal m- m- many many times yeah many many times and i mean like some of those were really big long expensive expeditions Mm. and and uh you know i i went on a caribou hunt one time out of the arctic i floated a long river Mm. and uh i ended up running into these guys on my hunt that were from my hometown here in hudson wisconsin yeah and i ended up talking to them at the beginning of the hunt we didn't know that we were going in the same area they were flying into the mountains mm. to hunt. They, you know, we we were in the airport and we started talking. they said, "Where are you from?" I said, "Hudson." They said, "Oh, we're from Hudson." I said, "Oh man," <laughs> and I said, "Where do you guys hunt?" They said, "We're flying into the mountains to hunt caribou. Mm. We do it every year." I go, oh, "Fantastic." I said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm flying into a river, at the head of the mountains." You know, we didn't Boy. talk about exactly where. And I said, "Then I'm floating out, mm. um, like a hundred miles or whatever." And they said, "Oh, that sounds exciting, cool." And and um, lo and behold, we end up literally in the same spot (laughs) wow okay um and so like i'm still you know i'm camping like a mile or two below them Mm. i got dropped off on a lake they got dropped off on a gravel bar and so but we ended up believe it or not we ended up talking at our airplane sites and we developed a kind of morse code (laughs) of like as, as, as you guys are successful, tell me like every night at a certain time, if we're not on an active stock, we'll go up to these knobs nice. and communicate with one another. That's cool. And we did that. And um, lo and behold, so I was there for 17 days. They were there for 10 days. Not Neither one of us killed a caribou. Mm. Um, we saw a couple of caribou. We saw a lot of moose, a lot of wolves. and We saw a couple of caribou they saw zero caribou. And um, then I talked to them afterwards and they had done that hunt something like 13 years in a row. And their like their worst year. They had shot like five bulls was their (laughs) worst year ever. Yeah. Usually they're shooting eight bulls, but their worst year was five bulls. This was back when you could shoot two. Yeah. Okay. Um, You used to be able to shoot two. Um, but it just goes to show like I was in the spot for 17 days. I floated over hundred miles yeah. there in the spot for 10 days. And this is the exact spot. They fly to this spot every single year and they'd shot multiple bulls every year. But this year the, the caribou weren't there. So yeah. it's just caribou pneumatic, you know, they moved. And, yeah. and so, I mean, you guys should still, and that's super, super awesome. You're going to Kodiak this year. Yeah. Like you'll, the deer hunting there is, it is stupid yeah it's so cool dude i'm it really looking so
0: cool. i'm really looking forward to it but i gotta be honest i am still like super itching for that caribou too like when i yeah. i got like to tell you yeah. when i see dude and i see guys like post some pictures of, of bulls they shot and stuff like it definitely hurts a little inside still mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> have you have you if you can afford it have you considered using a pilot
0: yeah um so we're flying in for this kodiak thing um okay so but yeah i mean i'm not against it um yeah it comes down to to money but mm-hmm. um yeah maybe it yeah, just expensive airplanes yeah. are expensive there's yeah. no two ways around it right yeah, like, for sure like, yeah basically i yeah it, it comes down to will the wife let me do it yeah <laughs> but yeah. the cool thing is dude she bought me this trip to kodiak for christmas like how awesome is that oh yeah, yeah, really cool. I was like, yeah. "Can I go back to Alaska, please?" And she was like, yeah. "No, no." But she had been secretly working with my buddy yeah. behind yeah. my back and got yeah. us this trip. It was amazing. That's um, really cool. Yeah, that's
1: really cool. Yeah, you'll have a great time. You'll have a great time.
0: Yeah, man. So, but I still in my caribou. Still in my caribou at some point. Has so,
1: your has your buddy um, been to Kodiak?
0: Yeah. So he he got the bug few several years ago the Alaska, and he he's gone back every single year. Yeah. Um, And he's actually moving there. And here's the cool thing. He's the guy that's ex Navy special warfare. He has his pilot's license. Oh yeah. So he's moving there. He'll be a resident probably by 2022. And his like goal is to get a cub. So there's a good chance I'll have a friend and hunting partner who lives in Alaska and has an aircraft in like Mm -hmm. two or three years.
1: You want some advice? Yes. Help him buy the airplane.
0: Good advice
1: mm-hmm say hey let me help you buy that cub
0: that's i like that yeah. i'm writing that one down <laughs> <laughs> then i have a i have like a legit stake in the thing
1: yeah yeah you have an interest in his plane yeah, yeah. that's a yeah. great
0: that's a great one um <laughs> so man this has been really fun um i gotta ask you um i don't know if anyone's asked you much about it before but it's kind of one of the themes of the podcast. Um, What do you, what's your opinion or what's your philosophy? Um, You know, I mentioned God earlier um, in the the spiritual side of hunting. What's your connection to the spiritual? Like, how do you connect? Uh, Do you believe in God? What do you believe? You know, that kind of stuff.
1: Well, I feel like, um, I feel, I've always told, I, I shouldn't say I've always told, but I've always felt like I've told people, like, I don't, I don't sense this connection. Hmm. but it's really not true at all. I really sense an immense connection. Um, it is, you know, I always like people would ask me about my spirituality when I was hunting or whatever. And I, and I would just kind of look around to be like, no, I don't, I, I'm not feeling anything. Hmm. Like I don't, yeah. What's it feel like? Is your skin supposed to burn or like what, you know, but I, I, I was misunderstanding essentially the question and the connection. Mm. Because um, the more and more I thought about it, the more and more I thought about my drive to be outside, my drive to be walking through the woods, to mm-hmm. be climbing mountains, to be looking for sheep or moose or snakes or frogs or, or going fishing, whatever it is. Like I, it, it's so entertaining to me to see these animals, to engage with these animals, to be an archer, to be a rifleman, um, to feel the weight on a backpack and to like climb, you know, like you'll get there. But when you shoot a big bull caribou and you've got the good portion of him in your back and you've got his full hide and you just have those antlers sticking up and, and, um, and, and you're you get to the top of a mountain and you stop, like you sit down on a rock, or you drop your pack and you're holding on to his tops while you're just surveying the scene, like that's the that's the connection, mm-hmm. right? That's the that's the uh that is the the uh spiritual connection. That's the relationship is the word I like to use. Yeah. That really you feel it in every part of your system. I feel it in every part of my system. What you were made for. Yeah. What I thought was an addiction. What I thought was, you know, you know, like, um, yeah, companies identify for all sorts of different manners. But what I thought was just something that I needed to, to do really was ingrained in my DNA, really understanding who we are, Mm really understanding what it means to be a human being, what we are as a population, what we are meant to do with wildlife in our wild places. And, you know, I, I used to think that stewardship, land stewardship, conservation, the idea of preservation with animals and preservation of wetlands and river corridors and prairie land and forests, I thought all of this was a um, uh, responsibility of ours as human beings. Mm-hmm but then i've come to realize over time that it's a responsibility of ours because we are animals because mm. we are in these systems these systems are as important for our life line our life bread as um, we are to these systems so everything is intergrained we are that we are that uh, raindrop it comes down and mm. hits and finds its way into the groundwater, finds its way into the ocean, finds its way into the Gulf of Mexico. Like we are part of that system. We've lost our way in the manner of we get to fly on airplanes. We have opposable thumbs. We get to drive cars. We have radio stations. We have movie stars. And so we've, in my opinion, we have there's been a digression or a regression or a, you know, a loss of a theme, if you will. But, um, so I, I've never been a terribly spiritual person and in the same sense, then maybe one of the more spiritual people I've ever met, because as I met with people who are hunters and fishermen and they told me about their ride involving hunting and fishing, I never identified with it,
0: Hmm.
1: but I did find somebody that identified it with. I really would sink my hooks into them hmm. and so and like you know you told me about caribou hunting you told me about the caribou you tell me about what your experiences were and if I buy into what you're telling me your experiences were like I'm all in uh way in if I'm not then I'm way out yeah. I'm all out and so like um yeah I think it's I think it's um I think it lives really strongly within me and and totally. uh, and having that energy flow between systems and between human beings and yeah and uh, I just think I was born way too late would be my
0: <laughs> well I think you know. I think you're a spiritual guy you seem like seem like you are um you know, I definitely
1: feel connected that's for sure yeah and I've had things happen to me that were you know I spent a lot of time with I get made fun of over this which is funny if you're gonna make fun of me for something and this is what you're gonna make fun of me of great but I've spent a lot of time with wolves. A lot of time i have been multiple times in my life. I've spent extended periods of time in and amongst a pack of wolves, but I've also had other times where just a single wolf and I will bump into one another Mm. in very close quarters. I'm talking less than 20 yards, stare at each other. I always am talking to them and I'll talk to them and like, you know, like, more to kind of figure out what they're doing, but just their eyes and their presence. And I, I get that way with a lot of things, but um, I don't know. I just feel it, you know, like yeah. um, some people have made fun of me for not killing wolves and I'm not against killing wolves. And I'm not even saying I wouldn't kill a wolf. I just haven't killed a wolf yet, Yeah. but I've had like 50 opportunities to kill a wolf and I haven't done it yet. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it, but you know, yeah. anyway, <laughs> but that's kind of my spiritualism. That's my connection, man. Like that's my, um, that's where I live totally man. that's where I live my entire life. the wolf man
0: um, yeah <laughs> yeah man and like I just feel like it needs to be said earlier we were talking about coming home from Alaska with no animal and I and like when I was thinking about Alaska, I was like, man, that would be a disaster and yeah I still have that like, oh I really want to get my caribou in me yeah and a lot of guys I think are scared of that but like it doesn't matter. it was still like no. still being there, feeling a the connection. The only blood we spilled was a ptarmigan, uh, and that was still amazing. But even yeah. even without that, just the experience and being there in the wild, yeah. it, it'll change you and, and that connection if, you're talking about.
1: If you go to Alaska for an animal, you're going to be really disappointed mm. because most of the people that go hunting in Alaska come home with nothing. Yeah. If you walk through the Anchorage airport or the Fairbanks airport at the end of September, you will see a lot of sad faces. A lot. And you will talk to these guys. If you see somebody wearing camouflage or looking like a hunter and he's got a super frown on, go talk to him. And he will blame the pilot. Yeah. He will blame the weather. He will blame the moose. He will blame the outfitter. He will blame the booking agent. Yeah. Everybody but himself. And, and forget the and, adventure uh, he just had. Yeah. I mean, it's not even – it doesn't even enter their mind. They want they want a 70-inch bull. Yeah or nothing. And they want, um, a friend of mine who I, I won't name him, but he's really, he's an outfitter, um, really successful outfitter. And, um, he told me this last time I was hunting with him. We were laying in a tent, we were socked in. And, um, he just said to me like, man, I love your attitude. Like we we're socked in for days. We we're just having a blast. He's like, I love that. You're not panicked that we're being socked in for days. I'm like, no, it's fine. He was telling me about a, um, a hunter that he had and he this guy was on a moose grizzly bear combo hunt mm. in a really good area. And um and my buddy was talking to him and he's like and they had bad weather. This day they had bad weather and, and um so this guy said to my buddy, he goes, Yeah, like I I just want an eight foot grizzly bear <laughs> and a seventy inch moose. <laughs> and my buddy said, Well, we don't even have that's great news because we don't even have to leave the tent because that's not happening. (laughs) Like that happens 1% of the time. Right. And so you see those photos, you see the magazine article, but if you're going, you should go to Alaska. I don't want to discourage anyone from going to Alaska because I think it's the life bread, right? It's lifeline. But if when you go to Alaska from the moment your airplane touches down to rental car to the restaurants you eat at to the fly shops you go into if you're lucky enough to make it into uh, are you flying into anchorage this year yes go down to barney's have you ever heard of barney's mm. oh yeah go to barney's okay. it's not far from the airport it's a Barney's ski chalet it's a little hunting store okay. owned by a guy named kevin and they make the most badass external frame backpacks they're amazing and, um, it's the coolest little hunting store you'll ever go in in your entire life. Done. I got it.
0: I scheduled a whole day to hang out in Anchorage. So done.
1: Go to Barney's, done. go to Barney's, go see Kevin, tell him I say hello. Okay. Um, it's incredible. Like they'll have all the best boots and backpacking stoves. They have all the best, everything. And, uh, they have really cool animals in there. It's an amazing place. Um, but, um, like you, you, you do these things you go there and you need to just live every experience yes. and if you have a weather day enjoy it mm-hmm. go outside a tent take a look around bring a good book go poop in the fog or go poop <laughs> in the rain hike up on the hill anyways and look for bears or look for moose yeah. or look for caribou and never for god's sakes never stop looking yeah like if it's daylight get up well before the sun eat your breakfast, get your gear on, get to the top of a hill, go take a look around. You'll be amazed what you see, whether it be a Wolverine catching a ptarmigan going past you or whether you see the Northern lights or whether you see a black bear. Like I, I got up on a black bear two years ago and I had a black bear tag. Hmm. I had a, a black bear tag. I was holding a rifle in a caliber that nobody's ever killed an animal with it's a brand new caliber oh cool a brand new ammunition that nobody's ever killed an animal that's stuff like, i've been I seeing on your be, social media yeah the true velocity yeah yeah i'm literally holding i have one of their test guns with me a remington model 706.8 TVCM. Hmm. i'm sitting over this bear he's not very far away at all i mean sub 100 yards and it's a big huge boar it's a frosty, really cold blustery afternoon. Like the sun is getting ready to go down and he is, we thought he was so big. We thought he was a grizzly bear mm. and he was digging in these rocks and he's eating all these blueberries and he's eating some ground squirrels or whatever it is that he was doing. Like I had this rifle, all I have to do is click the safety off and boom, and I'll be the first guy to kill an animal. With this whatever that means, but I just sat there watching him and this is the valley that doesn't get hunted very much. And I just thought if I shoot him, he's dead. If I shoot him, I'm going to have a gorgeous black bear hide hanging on my wall. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have a hundred pounds or 150 pounds. However, I mean, he's a big bear. He's like 400 pound bear. I'll have however many hundred pounds of meat, which I love bear meat. I'll have this beautiful skull that I'll, you know, keep in my collection. And, um, I will have been the first hunter to kill an animal with this cartridge and you know, voila. And I sat there and then I did the other side of the coin. If I don't shoot him, he's going to continue being a bear. He's going to hibernate right here because it's the end of the season Mm -hmm. and he's getting fat. He's an old, old boar. He's lived in these valleys, his whole life. He's probably dead here every year. And if I just don't squeeze the trigger, he just gets to get on. Like Alaska continues for him, his life continues, yeah. and he very well may die of old age. He may starve to death. He may fall off a cliff and and fall to his death. A bigger bear may kill him and cannibalize him. You know, a moose might kill him. A cow might stomp him this spring when he's trying to kill her calf. Yeah, nature will take its course, right? He'll drown trying to cross a river. It's harsh, but that's the reality of. Sure. being a wild animal um and i decided not to shoot hmm. and i just i walked away and i felt so good about walking away not not that there's a right or a wrong or a, I'm not bragging i'm not not bragging like yeah in the next week i went through this whole yin and yang process of like i really wish i would have shot that bear then and then i was really happy that i didn't and i really wish and it just this is the conundrum that i live in in my mind and i just think if people are going to go to alaska like you need to go there with this conundrum yeah like you have a bloodthirst right now and I totally understand it and I've had it and have it many times. I've had it many, many times, but you're like, I need to go caribou hunting. Yeah. But when you, as you caribou hunt, still you will harbor that. Like you even, you went through it this year. You didn't know if that was a young bull or a antlered cow. So you're like, Hmm. And you made the right decision. Like if there's any indecision, just abort mission. Like you don't want to mess a, a, we all need to hunt as though the world is watching because every little decision you make, like even if you would have shot that and it was a cow, you got a ticket, you got a confiscated, you had to pay a fine. It goes against your record. Well, now when, now when anti hunters or non hunters are compiling statistics to be against us, they can Mm -hmm. be like, yeah, 112 cows were accidentally shot by hunters. You don't want to be one of those 112 guys. Like you want to make the right decision. And and accidents always happen. That that stuff happens. But, we, we do the best we can, and we continue to ask ourselves difficult questions. Totally. But if you're going to Alaska, you did it exactly right. Pour yourself into your body. Pour yourself into your mind, to which I would say to you, learn the biology of your animals. So now that you're going to Kodiak, learn your lesson from the caribou. Learn as much as you can about blacktail deer. Yeah. Sitka blacktail deer. And I don't mean ask your buddies. I mean read in a book. What, what are Sitka blacktails doing right now? Where are they on the mountain? Okay. Oh, they're at the top of the mountain. Are you going in August? Yes. Okay. So they're at the top of the mountain. Okay. Well, figure that out. Like what, what are the plants that they like to eat this time of year? Where are they bedding? What type of slopes are they eating on? Do they like to bed with the wind in their face? Do they like to bed with the wind at their back? Like figure out, Mm. figure out how they look at hunters. Do I have to stay in the shadows? Do I have to not move that much? Like how learn everything you can about them. It'll make you far more interested in them. Start looking at photos of them. Look at how their antlers ride on their head. Look at the two white throat patches, their big, dark foreheads, their little stout, like 50 gallon drum bodies with toothpick legs, (laughs) pick it all apart. Take them nose to tail. Look at all their physiology, pick your shooting zone. And then when you get there, like when you see one, you're gonna be like, wow. And already like whether you pull the trigger or not, do all this work on your body. Do all this work on your mind. And when you get there, you hike to the top of the mountain. You set up your camp. That's your first wow. That's your first like, I did it. Yeah. I'm here. <laughs> I hike to the top. I'm camping. And then when you start seeing animals, that's your second wow. And really those two wows, you're done, man. That's it. Yeah. That's the success. You're success. already done. you won. done. You're done. Now if you find one that you want to shoot, shoot it. Cherry on it, top. Eat it. Cherry on top. Like people always say that, like, oh, it's a frosting on the cake. I'm just here for the experience. That's a great sentence, but live it. Mm. Embody it. Like breathe it. Understand it because if you understand if you're fa- if you're lying to yourself, like, "Oh, I really love eating beets. I really love eating beets. I really <laughs> No, you don't. Beets suck. <laughs> really really live it with yourself. And then you can actually change your relationship with what you're doing. And then you can change your relationship. You already have. You've done the hardest relationship shift of probably in, in your life, aside from losing a loved one or whatever, but you're, you're like, I just wish, I wish I could give people a, um, you know, something to eat or give tap them on the head and that they experience, they get to see, and feel what I'm feeling because if they did like they would never stop and they would always be searching. And, and um, yeah, and I get, I get, I had a hunt two years ago. It went horrible for me and I couldn't find my rhythm and I was letting other things get into my head and, and um, it really poisoned my trip and, and Mm. never again, it'll never happen again. But um, I still enjoyed many things on that. Like when I'd see particular piece animals and, weather and a couple of times like um the guy i was hunting with would take a nap and so i'd hike to the top of the mountain while he was sleeping and just like one day that that trip i hiked to the top of the mountain one day and a big fat huge fat sow grizzly bear walked past me with two cubs oh wow just feeding and you know that like that's what i hang my hat on on that trip you know i saw that i was just like man it was cold blustery day and i was just sitting there drinking a cup of tea and um I just watched, she was just an awesome mom and I could see like her cubs would get out and they, like, I think it's always the boars are always a pain in the ass, but the boar would go explore too far and then she'd, she'd pop up and you'd see her and she'd, and then he'd come back, you know, just,
0: that's awesome, man.
1: I'm easily entertained. And, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, I think you, I think you probably understand that.
0: Yeah. It's, that's such great advice, man. Um, I'm really glad you said that about just learning everything about the animals and and learning from that mistake. And yeah, man, so good. And, um, that's why I like, so this, the shed back here, mm-hmm. I found this returning to camp from my stalk on that one I almost shot, but wasn't sure. And that's the logo for the podcast. Oh, right on. Yep. It's the exact. That's the shed. And yeah. It's really just because cool. it's emblematic to me of. Yeah. Um. Again, doesn't have to be Alaska. I do recommend everyone go to Alaska. I think you yep. would too. But yep. adventure, find adventure. Yeah. You know, get uncomfortable, find adventure. And I mean, we were made for it. So
1: made. F- we need it to live. Yes.
0: Absolutely. Well, thanks, man. It's been a really awesome conversation. I'm glad we got a chance to connect. I appreciate uh,
1: the offer. I really do.
0: Yeah. I don't want to hold you too much longer. So, um, but where can, uh, well, I do want to ask you just lastly, any other advice for me as a, um, you know, aspiring content creator, filmmaker heading to Kodiak, making some films this fall?
1: Uh, honesty, just honesty. Yeah. Um, never stop filming. Try to capture the whole day, even when you're beat. Mm. You know, grab a camera. I don't care if you have to hold it right here and talk into the barrel. But honesty. Don't try not to mimic anyone else's work. Other than like, obviously, you're going to. We've everything we all do is something that we've seen in someone else's sure. work. But just use your own words, your own sentences, your own experience. If you're having a miserable time, talk about how miserable it is. If you're having a great time, talk about how great it is. Yeah. You know, really, um, I think just the more honest you can be with yourself and with the camera lens, the more people are going to want to watch it.
0: Totally. Cool, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. Um, I'll let you go, man. But again, thank you for your time and really enjoy talking.
1: I appreciate it.